0: In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College.
1: Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, uh, welcome to the show. By way of reminder, I just want to let you know people are wondering, on June 16th, several Catholics, myself included, will be doing a, a prayerful pilgrimage over to Dodger Stadium. So mark your calendars, June 16th, that's on a Friday night. We are going to meet at the Cathedral of Our Lady Queen of Angels, which is the corner of Temple and Grand, There is parking at the cathedral. We're going to get there between 3 and 4. By about 4 o'clock, we're going to leave the cathedral. We're going to process, pray in the rosary and litanies from uh, Dodger Stadium. Excuse me, from the cathedral to Dodger Stadium, which is about 1.5 miles. We'll get to Dodger Stadium, and we're going to pray in front of the entry of Dodger Stadium, right where all the people enter, on both sides of the street, we're going to be holding signs, appropriate signs, letting people know that we are sick and tired of getting um, insulted as Catholics, and uh, we're going to make a lot of noise, but we're also going to make a lot of prayers, and so those of you that come, make sure you're in a state of grace, make sure you've gone to confession, make sure you've gone to mass in the morning, if possible, make sure you're wearing sacramentals, this is going to be prayers of reparation for these these homosexual men that are acting like nuns they're not nuns they're fake nuns they're men they're homosexual men will be prayed in prayers of reparation for the blasphemy and the sacrilege that they are uh, that they are leveling at the blessed virgin mary and the lord jesus christ so, yeah so uh that's june 16th on friday meet us uh, between 3 and 4 p.m. at Our Lady Queen of Angels parking. From there, hopefully a 1,000 Catholics will process to Dodger Stadium. Okay. Hey, Kyle, welcome to War, Wednesday War College, my friend. I haven't been on with you for a while. Hey, good
0: morning, Jesse. It's good to be here.
1: Kyle, tell, uh, tell us a little bit. Well Let me just introduce uh, you to the audience. People don't... Who's Kyle Clement? Kyle Clement is the most um, literate, erudite knowledgeable person on Catholic spiritual warfare in the planet. He's on Father Chad Ripperger's exorcism team. He's been on his team for, for 16 years. Uh, he knows more about Catholic spiritual warfare than anybody I've ever met. And I've met everybody in the field of Catholic spiritual warfare. And, uh, and let me tell you, this is the top of the food chain right here. Kyle, what do you got going on in the next couple of weeks where people can tap into some of the apostolic work that you're doing?
0: Oh, thanks, Jesse. So this is a busy time of year for us. Father Ripperger and I do. Um, Father Ripperger is the primary presenter, but we do a series of three retreats uh, up here in Wyoming at Louis Lake Lodge, beautiful Lewis Lake in the Wind River Mountains. There, of those retreats, uh, the father-son is sold out, the mother-daughter is sold out, but there is still a couple of pl- places available, spots available, for the single men's retreat and this retreats for 18 to 35 year old single men uh discerning vocations to marriage or the priesthood and father ripper girl will be on site there he's doing the retreat and you, a person would get a lot of personal time with father uh, it's a low population um i think there's only like 15 guys who will be at this retreat so then we're also the sanctifier we're doing a book study online zoom book study starting on july the third on Monday evenings for nine Monday evenings. And you can contact info at Montecristo.net, I-N-F-O at M-O-N-T-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-O.net to register. Um, Also, if you're not receiving those Monte Cristo or Libra Cristo newsletters, we got a newsletter comes out once a month that tells everything that's going on, Um, you can, again, info at net to request being added to that mailing list. And then the last thing that I, uh, well, not the last, but another thing I wanted to mention is Father does exorcist training. We do general practitioner priest training. We do team training. All of these intense trainings are, are practically oriented. We've watched the exorcism academies or institutes move more into a symposium-type um, uh configuration and we have not we we're very very practical we're like shop class um you you come to this training and you're ready when you're when a priest has completed the exorcist training he is uh, equipped to deal with uh, solemn exorcism diagnostics etc we do mental health conferences we do general practitioner training for priests who general parish priests who want to know more about this idea but we take the shop Class approach. We take the hands-on, uh, very practical approach, and those happen um, next year in in January and February. There is an opportunity to um, sponsor priests for the exorcist training and for the general practitioner training. Many of these priests, they're in dioceses that are in bankruptcy. There are some third world countries. Um, but to provide those scholarship opportunities is is a, a great benefit, and we've had a wonderful response. And so again, if you have any interest in the trainings or any interest in sponsoring a priest, scholarshiping a priest, go to info at montecristo dot net uh, for details. And through last last year, through the generosity of many individuals, we were able to provide scholarships to seven priests and mental health professionals to those trainings. And so that's a that's been a wonderful. Um, area of, of formation and training. And then the last thing I wanted to mention is Dr. Dan Snyder's much-awaited book, The Liber Cristo Field Manual on Spiritual Warfare, published by TAN, is uh, coming out this year. I mean, this month, you can, you can order it. You can uh, go ahead and pre-purchase that and get that sent to you. This is a definitive work. Uh, Dr. Snyder took the things that Father and I had been working on for years, the protocol and other things, and does a very wonderful job of putting them into this manual. Father Ripper and I have a a great uh, deal of appreciation for all of Dr. Snyder's efforts on this. The other thing too is this is our phase two tool, if you will, so this is used um, in our phase twos of our four-phase protocol very, very important work. I think it, it brings back to the forefront Catholic norms and the Catholic methodology of liberation. And so our thanks to Dr. Snyder, and I highly encourage you to to purchase that volume and uh, also to avail yourself of all of the free videos on um, the Monte Cristo YouTube channel. Uh, I just did an, one recently on uh, the relationship between the diabolical, fallen di- fallen angel, the diabolical, and the human. So that's a new one that's posted. Um, so those are our re- some resources and some things we've got going on. Thanks, Jesse, for the opportunity to go through that.
1: You got it, brother. Hey, uh, let me ask you a question. I just want to get your take on uh, what do you think of these homosexual men from San Francisco calling themselves the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and they're getting an award on June 16th a community hero award. Uh I'm sure you have something to say about that Kyle.
0: <laughs> well, I think uh, if there were a superhero that were would be associated with um deliverance, uh liberation, exorcism, that superhero hero would be Captain Obvious. Um You know, Ray Charles can see that this is highly disordered. This is making a mockery of so many things. And most of all, it is the diabolical who is mocking humanity. He's mocking the dignity of the human person. He's mocking the dignity of creation. And ultimately, he's mocking God. And if you can't, if, if people can't see that, they're really just not paying attention. But ultimately, that's what's happening is God is being mocked.
1: Kyle, well, I'm glad to see that many bishops have spoken out against what the Dodgers are doing, uh, that Pride Night and that award that these homosexual men from San Francisco are receiving that are trying to act like women. There's a lot of bishops that have spoken out against it, which is a good thing. Um, And so, yeah, a bunch of Los Angelinos, myself included, a former Los Angelino, we're going to respond to them with uh, Catholic prayer power. So uh, uh, I just want to let the people know that there will be a Catholic response So, Kyle, uh, I got a lot of questions I want to ask you. Questions from the audience that people want to get your take. Uh, Here's one. You're involved with Father Ripperger and you're in his exorcism team. Without a doubt, people say, Jess, ask Kyle if he's ever watched the movie, the 1973 The Exorcist with William Peter Blatty. And what can Kyle tell us about the movie? Was it... Uh, consistent with what, uh, what actually happens. Uh, where's the embellishments, the exaggeration? Does Kyle know the backdrop to the true story? So uh, people want to hear from you, Kyle, about the 1973 movie, The Exorcist. What say, Kyle Clement?
0: So I, I think that um, just a few basic observations. Um, it was based on a on a real story, a real exorcism that finally culminated in, in St. Louis. Um, and so there's some actuality there, but you know, as far as based upon a on a true story, um, it's a movie and. Okay anybody um you know i would ask you jesse you uh you were in law enforcement in california for um for several years and i'm sure that the experience you had as a law enforcement officer was exactly like eric estrada had in chips right (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah and and so i mean all the all the way down to the motorcycle and tailored uniform so i'm sure that that was just spot on um, and so the, that illustrates the absurdity is Hollywood does what Hollywood does. Hold on. And hold also thought. to understand.
1: Kyle, hold that thought. we got a hard break. We we want to hear from you on the next segment. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. Kyle's giving a synopsis of The Exorcist, the movie 1973. We'll be right back. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement talking about all things spiritual warfare. And uh, so I just asked Kyle about the 1973 film, The Exorcist, directed by William Friedkin. Uh, just want to get his take. Obviously, this uh, this is probably the most watched, I would say the most watched horror, horror film Hollywood has ever produced. In fact, I just uh, looked up the... The budget was twelve million dollars, uh, and it uh, the box office was four hundred forty one point three million dollars, as of two thousand twenty two. So it was a whopping success, and for Hollywood standards, uh, they uh, we, uh, Peter Blatty and, and William Friedkren, they say that they adapted this from a true story. So Kyle, what do you know about the backdrop to this story, uh, and what would you say? Are some of the takeaways that some, because most people watch this movie, what are some of the things that you, you would tell people, this does not happen, this cannot happen, and some of the things that are true to form?
0: So I think that um, when you say what cannot happen, there's no limit on, on what could happen technically or theoretically, since everything that happens is allowed by God's providence. Okay. And that's one of the things that we know, and even the demon will will attest to that they are limited strictly. They are one of the, we we find that they are one of the most tightly regulated creatures in all the cosmos. They're limited first by their fallen nature; they can't act outside their fallen nature. And the second limitation is the providence of God, and so they are only uh, they will only do what they're allowed to do. So in the true story, the exorcism um, it, it was a young boy, and he um, it was a well documented exorcism. It was pretty straightforward. The there were two primary priests involved. Um, the exorcisms were done on holy ground, on consecrated ground. Uh, ultimately, there at the end, and so these are some things that. Um, Better than were the norm and are the norm for Catholic liberation. I think that if you go to, they followed um, the prenotunda of the 1614 Rite. Now, let me explain that just a moment. The prenotunda of the 1614 Rite was written by St. Charles Borromeo in response to Trent, uh, the Council of Trent, which was to codify all rites and rituals of the church. And so the prenotunda is those things to be done or the preparations. And he lays out very specifically, these are the things to be done and these are the things, some things not to be done. And among them are the prayers of exorcism are never to be done at night. They're never to be done um, in a um, uh, in a location if the person can be moved to sacred ground. Uh, If the place itself is possessed and that the exorcism is to take place during the day, preferably in the morning, there's a lot of just really good common sense um, advice in there. It's even um, how to deal with a disembodied spirit that presents itself as a ghost, etc. So there's a lot of practical information there. What's so interesting today is that priests view this as uh, a commentary without much weight, uh, and it has a huge amount of weight. It was the preno tundra of the solemn rite of exorcism that was used in the church and still used in the church, but it was the only rite for 400 years, and so and it was highly effective. The, there is not the mystery here that people think there is, um, just like your the law enforcement. Um, A good homicide detective, there is a methodology. He's not some mystic. He's not some seer. He's not some person who has these wild gifts. He's just a guy who grinds it out and follows the leads and chases it down and checks off the boxes. Yep. Go ahead. So that's what we find in exorcism is that uh, the good and holy priest of mature character who's not enamored with it just simply works through the methodology and that's part of the way we developed the four-phase protocol and actually kind of brought that back uh into a standard usage uh but it's amazing to me the number of priests in the modern church who do not want to avail themselves of of these tools they just want to go at it um ad hoc if you will carl let me ask you a question how many uh
1: the pronotunda how many questions does the church permit uh, a priest to ask during a solemn session i mean they just can't have a willy-nilly conversation with 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 the demons can they are they regulated to just a certain number of questions
0: they are regulated to topic, not number but topic and specificity, so it has to do with the possession itself. it has to do with um, method of entry, time and date of departure if known um, and so yeah, it's tightly regulated and where priests run into problems is when they uh, begin to discuss theology with the demon or they engage in um, they engage in various conversations. Then father seems to be somewhat father ripperger seems to be somewhat colloquial and informal in the way he relates these. But having sat in countless hours in solemn session, that's not so. He's very formal in his discourse with them, and everything is ordered toward um, knowledge that is necessary. Um, the moment that a demon can lead our exorcist priest into speculation, speculative theology, or into curiosity. Um, then he's just turned the tables on him and he's in control. I've said in a lot of those sessions. So part of my job um, when I was uh, on the original faculty of the Leo Thirteenth Institute, and they did have a practicum, practical aspect back then, is I would find myself flying to various locations with newly minted exorcists and sitting through their first several solemn sessions. and And you learn, okay, this is what takes a lot of these guys out. And that's specifically this area that you're asking about.
1: Got it. Yeah, they just get get into uh, senseless conversations with, the, with these uh, fallen angels. Kyle, so let me move on to another topic. <clears throat> Big ghosts. Some people say, I have ghosts in my house. My house is haunted. There are ghosts. So uh, how would you, from the Catholic point of view when somebody says that they feel that their house is haunted, they have ghosts in their house. What could that possibly be that they're dealing with?
0: So um, it could be several things. Uh, And so I think to go down the list in what we've seen as statistical um, actuality. So the objective things having dealt with hundreds of these cases over the years, Statistically, when something is happening in a house uh, that is unexplained, uh, movement of objects, um, hot, hot, cold areas, disruption of electricity, plumbing, etc., cetera, a vast majority of those are diabolical infestation. The activity will begin when there is a change in either the ownership or disposition of the house meaning once prayers are started in the house, uh, once a new owner comes in, sacred images may be hung, various things, then this is a disruption because this is an irritation to the resident demons, if you will. And they're there for a purpose. They're not free to come and go. And so this is a a thing about infestation is often they're there by uh, what's called conscription, Meaning those demons are assigned to that location by a greater or more terrible demon uh a lot of times having to do with a history of occult activity um and or satanic activity in the house or, in, or on the location on the even on the property we have raw property that's can be possessed as well, but those are are the the universal concepts or the universal principles that we see is that statistically. When those things are happening, it's diabolical. The diabolical is activated because there's a change in the religious disposition of the, either the owners or the practices.
1: Makes sense. So what about, uh, can you talk about the possibility of a purgative soul? Isn't that uh, something that some uh, exorcists will say that it can possibly be a purgative soul? And how would you describe that?
0: Okay, so, um, if, so it's either, well, it is uh, most commonly what's called a disembodied spirit. Technically, a demon is a disembodied spirit. It's a spirit without a body. And so of that category of disembodied spirits, the majority are going to be diabolical. Now, let's look at two minority categories of disembodied spirits, and both of those are human. The first category of human disembodied spirits is the purgative soul. Now, the purgative soul, in order to be avail themselves of purgatory, there's going to have to be some um, characteristics of that soul. These are baptized souls. These are souls that are configured through one or more sacraments to Christ. They are souls that have uh, avail- been availed of purgatory, and they're allowed— to um appear uh, that's it both of these things are all of these things are providential actually but they're allowed to appear they typically do not they are not auditory they do not make noise uh on their own they can tap they can um do those kind of things um but they are not malicious they do not um inspire fear. They do not, um, and they typically are there and allowed to manifest to elicit prayer. The purgative soul is all about prayer. It's all about reparation. It's all about addressing uh, either the temporal consequence, ongoing temporal consequences of sin, or some aspect of their earthly life. The second category is um, non-purgative human souls. And so you wouldn't go so far as to say damned. You don't want to pass a judgment on them. You don't want to, um, to make that comment. But these are non-purgative souls. And so oftentimes what's happening there, we see some of this in societies that are um, uh, have as a part of their element, their culture, uh, ancestor. Worship, or infatuation, or some type of fetish, something by which the soul is attached to certain temporal Um, things—that's an area that we see very, very rarely. And um, because we work in uh, Catholic exorcism, this may be more common than we know in the secular world. Um, But my my experience is going to be limited to. the field of exorcism and liberation, and so um, does that address those questions? Yeah, yeah. So, yes,
1: so the, yeah, uh, Kyle. So the non-purgative soul—that's not a demon. That's—I think you're alluding that it's a damned soul from hell, right?
0: It. So it I'm, be, I'm being but very careful not okay. to say damned and not to say oh, okay. from oh, yeah, hell. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. I yeah, got it. Got it. Right. So uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. So a non-purgative soul uh, could be a soul from the the abyss, <laughs> uh, right?
0: Well, yes, and I, it, what we get the impression is that um, so everything that God allows is a form of just.
1: Hold that thought, Kyle. What is it War College? Yes, remember, Kyle Clement. We're asking Kyle all kinds of uh, questions from the audience. We'll be right back. Stick around. Wednesday War College, just from Eric Clement, talking about spiritual warfare topics that the audience has uh, asked these questions. <clears throat> Kyle, so before I go on to another question, I want to ask you about UFOs. Your take on UFOs? So the uh, the other disembodied spirit can be a lost soul that's been uh, that's been consigned to hell. Correct
0: yes and so again i'm I'm avoiding the consignment to hell but the point to make is simply because we don't know uh, but the point to make is that everything that god allows has as its root an element of divine justice and charity Mm. and so uh if a soul not destined for heaven not purgative is being allowed to appear or being present then there has to be some element of justice, either for that soul and or another soul. In the economy of salvation, quite often this soul would be allowed uh, to communicate for the purpose of salvation. And the classic example of this is the scriptural uh, reference with Lazarus and Davies and the um the poor man Lazarus, on one side of the chasm in the bosom of Abraham, and then Davies in in torment, but visible torment to those on um in the in the bosom of Abraham if you re, and I know you recall you're a scripture scholar, you recall the the dialogue um you know, send Lazarus with a dip of water um, and so when they're allowed, oftentimes it's for the purpose uh of conversion. But no matter how mysterious it may be, God is unwavering. He acts in justice. He acts in charity. He acts out of love for all of his creatures. And that may well be a tough love whereby we see a creature in torment, and that's an opportunity for conversion for us.
1: Well, yeah, so that so that God's justice may be glorified. Yeah, I get that. So, Kyle, uh, your take... Uh, There's a lot of talk on even the mainstream media these days on UFOs. You got you got a lot of politicians that want to open these investigations on UFOs. Hillary Clinton started the conversation and now it's kind of mainstream in a lot of the mainstream media networks. So uh, what does the tradition of the Catholic Church say about UFOs or does the church even say anything in tradition about UFOs?
0: The church says nothing in tradition. Um, the closest you're gonna to find to address this is the understanding that divine revelation ends with the scripture and, uh, and ends with Christ. There's no more divine revelation. Personal revelation may continue and that we're not bound to, to follow uh, or to ascribe to. Um, so everything that needs to be known is there. Now, while that's being said, everything that needs to be known is there. It's interesting what's happening is that we're getting a boomerang of effect with regard to science, and science is coming back to this understanding that, well, perhaps um there were uh common you know, very few common ancestors. Maybe we are all descended. Uh we're watching evolution and, and those things collapse. We're watching things. So science is changing. God is not. Um, science, it's like our knowledge of the world. We think we have all all the knowledge there is. And then um, just by its nature, the constant revelation and now scriptures are being looked at in different ways. But they've always said what they've said. Everything's always been right there. It's just that our interpretation of them has changed. The churches has not. Um, but it's interesting how modern society um, ebbs and flows with regard to, to this relationship, and it's been our experience with regard to the um, to UFOs and to aliens that this is two two observations to make. Again, hundreds and hundreds of cases over years and years and years, and that is that number one it is that when we get to the bottom of it, it's diabolical. And number two, it is a distraction. It is one of the grandest distractions that the demon has ever come up with.
1: Good. Answer. And, I like
0: that. um, good. Yep. Yeah, and that's so my, that's what yeah, we that's see t- played out over and over.
1: Kyle, that's exactly what I've thought for years. It's, 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 it's diabolical in its origin and it's a distraction in, 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 in one sentence. That's what I tell Catholics about UFOs. So, we're tracking in the right direction. <clears throat> so uh,
0: yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 no I, uh, I, I that's been our that's been our experience without exception.
1: <clears throat> so let me ask you another question that does come up, <clears throat> um, and it's just because of Hollywood genre. Uh, what what do you know about the whole uh, mystique of vampires? Are these supposed to be disembodied spirits, you know? Is, are these supposed to be, uh, you know, demons that have, uh, that have shapeshifted into humans? Uh, what's, the, what's the legend of vampires, if there is a legend from, from Catholic tradition?
0: So the first thing is uh, to, to look at it from a theological perspective. What is the theological prim- premise and principles principle or principles what are the theological principles which are being focused upon by these particular demons and we have heard us talk about before that angels were created mission specific and so when they fall they can they as part of their nature they still have this orientation this zeal this focus on this particular area this particular theological concept etc Except now it is designed to draw one away from God to diminish God rather than magnify God and to impede the flow of grace rather than magnify the flow of grace. If we put those glasses on and then look at this, we get a clearer picture of what's going on. So a couple of the um, principles. Number one, St. Peter says to Christ, where will we go You are the only one who has the words of everlasting life. And so this is uh, the theological principle is the understanding that eternity is only achieved through Christ. And how is that? Here's the key. Christ himself says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, ye shall not have life within you. Mm -hmm. There is the principle Mm -hmm. precisely. And so vampirism is a false Eucharistic um, disposition. It is a false understanding, and it militates directly against these statements of our Lord and these practices of our Lord. And so what happens is the demon, uh, if a person is willing to engage in these practices, these deviant practices, these false Eucharists, for the purpose of extending or having everlasting life, then you see exactly what's happening and how it's happening.
1: So it's a, it's a, it mimics uh, the Holy Eucharist, which is the source and summit of the Christian life. It is the apex of all the seven sacraments, and it's it's a mockery of the Eucharist. Uh, it's 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 a false it's, it's, it's a false, uh, it's a false uh, you know medicine for eternal life, right? It's just, it's just what it is. It's just a mockery of of the Catholic faith, just like what's happening in Dodger stadium. In other words,
0: that's exactly right. That is, that is precisely right. It is a mockery. And so things fall into one of three categories. Uh, We, we classify these type things in one of three categories is um, it's either a mockery. It's a distraction and these are not mutually exclusive, but it's either primarily a mockery, pl- primarily a distraction, and then the third one is that it's primarily a false divinity. It's a, it's an it, where the person is encouraged to achieve their own personal uh, divinity or elevation beyond humanity. And so, like I said, they're not mutually exclusive. So in vampirism, we see uh, both the mockery and the. Um, attempt to re- uh, achieve a quasi uh, divine state that makes sense
1: <clears throat> there's a there's a famous hollywood couple megan fox and i forget her boyfriend they're i, I don't follow them but i just i've read articles on them that both of them they're young they're you know they've got you know millions of people that follow them and they're they're influencers in hollywood they cut each other occasionally and they drink each other's blood and uh I forgot the rationale for doing this, but they admit that it's they, they admit that it's a, a ritual that they're doing uh to try to gain, like you said, this divine state. I've heard her say that in some of these articles that I've read. So uh yeah, this is uh this is not something that's uh, uh that's being done in closed doors. This is something that many Hollywood actors and influencers are doing openly and posting it on the internet and uh and, and trying to confuse the young people. Let me ask you one more question, and then I want to go to the final question, which I want to ask you about to give us a, 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 a summary of diabolical affliction and diabolical compatibility. I want you to give us the relational aspects of both. So, this is a huge question, so I'm sure it's going to take the entire next segment. So, the question I want to ask you is give us the relational aspects of diabolical affliction and compatibility on the next segment. But uh, just a comment on video games also, Kyle, what would you say to parents about video games?
0: So we get a lot of pushback about this. um, But here's what we found is that only in a couple of cases, out of hundreds and hundreds, only in a couple of cases has the video game been the primary uh, avenue or vector of a possession. But in hundreds of cases, it's been a secondary element and oftentimes the most difficult attachment point to break. And so um, here is the general um, thing on uh, video games. The video games, and they don't have to be video games. actually, the old you know board games or, or even paper versions, but what is key is role playing. If this incur, if you are required to adapt mores, vices, behaviors, thought patterns, deception, anything that is inconsistent
1: Cal, we'll with be right Catholic back. morals, hold that thought, Tyler. Hold that thought. We'll be back. Wednesday War College. Wednesday War College, people always are anticipating Kyle Clement when he's on on Wednesdays. Kyle is the, uh, <clears throat> he is the most literate, knowledgeable lay Catholic in the world when it comes to Catholic spiritual warfare. Uh, we're, we, got, we, we provide you the top of the food chain here every Wednesday with Kyle Clement and Dr. Dan Schneider. Kyle, I want you to go back uh, and just give that overview. It was a brilliant response. And I want people to, that are just tuning in to listen uh, to Kyle's response on mm-hmm. video games because that's, that's a common question that's asked of uh, people in Liberal Christo and probably other other Catholic uh, apostolates are asked that question. So, Kyle, can you once again tell mom and dad uh, the overview of video games, when can they be dangerous and when are they basically... Uh, and are they just are they just innocuous like some young people think?
0: Well, it, it, thanks, Jesse. So first of all, nothing is innocuous. Every single thing you do, er, t- every thought, takes you closer to or further from God. Amen. Um, and so the 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 rational quality, or the rational aspect of humanity, intellect and will are God-given, and if they are God-given, then they have as their primary purpose to give glory to God. And so any use of those faculties, even the faculty of speech, any use that militates against giving glory to God is a misuse of that faculty, and then by degree to, what, um, to how it's used. So why don't we bring this up with regard to video games is in the Confidior, we confess sins of thought, word, and deed. And what we found is that it is impossible to sin virtually without a temporal consequence. The things that we do virtually have uh, meaning on, online, they have a temporal consequence. Uh, we're shaping will, we're shaping intellect, or we're deforming will, or we're deforming intellect just by the use that's a, that is a high bar, but sanctity and holiness is a high bar. Now, what we say with regard to and what we see universally with regard to role-playing uh, to video games uh, and other games, for that matter, is role-playing seems to be the threshold. If one is willing to assume uh, a, an attitude, of personality, and behaviors, thoughts, Actions that are inconsistent with virtue, that are inconsistent with Catholic norms in the Catholic faith, then de facto they have opened themselves up by degree um, to the diabolical, who is in opposition to Catholic morals, Catholic norms, theological norms, etc. And so this psychological compatibility is an extremely important thing. Uh, concept to get because psychological compatibility is the precursor for all relationship. It, bottom line, it is the precursor for all relationship. Those people who are listening to this show, there is a psychological compatibility and a common area of interest. And there will be a deeper psychological compatibility if you agree with what is being said on this show then it starts to form a relationship with regard to let me find out more is this true why is this true and there's a desire for more communication more contact with the material so built into the video games um in role playing especially is the necessity for the player to adopt practices, thoughts, mores that are inconsistent with their Catholic faith in order because in order to be successful in the game, one, it, it, there's not a game based upon uh, noble virtue. And so that is one of the, the keys, I think, to, to look at it. And that's what we see played out is the diabolical now become present to the intellect, which is being deformed, the will, which is being deformed. And as always, the demon is present through the lower faculties. There is an emotional response, often a physiological response um, to the game itself, to the stimulation of the game. So hopefully that's a good overview.
1: Absolutely. Yep. That's that's clear. Very, very uh, understandable. Kyle, let's get now into... The, the whole area, because this is an area that sets Liber Christo apart from other Catholic deliverance models. I don't see anybody else talking in, in the other models out there, and there are several. I don't see anybody else talking about psychological compatibility with a demon. Uh, that seems to be a term that's, uh, that's firmly in the camp of Liber Cristo. Of the way liberation is explained and uh, and the way uh, affliction is explained as well, so can you give in these last couple of minutes this uh, this the whole relational aspect of diabolical affliction and compatibility and where did Liber Crystal come up with these terms? Is it is it part of the uh, uh, the, the bringing in the the, the Catholic psychologists into the Liber Crystal that have been able to uh, basically uh, harmonize uh, these the the points of psychology and uh, and Thomistic philosophy.
0: So I'll I'll uh, I'll address the last inquiry first, and then we'll go back to the to the concept. So first of all, I'd, I'd like to also give your listeners another resource. Uh, there is a Monte Cristo YouTube channel, and we just posted a fifteen minute. Um, Discussion on psychological compatibility and the diabolical relationship with humans, and so uh, I'm not going to be able to to go deep into it. But I would encourage uh, your listeners to go to that YouTube and view that, and then um, again they can make comments, they can ask questions, and we'll try to address those. But it 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 goes deep into that subject. Where did the term come from? This term is a is a term that Father and I started using um, about. Five, six years ago to describe what we were seeing. We're constantly looking at patterns, constantly looking at what are the commonalities, what are the things that seem to be universal, what are the things that seem to be consistent principles that we're seeing. And what we saw was that diabolical and human interaction, possession, obsession, oppression, etc. All of these are forms of relationship. And creature-to-creature interaction, almost any creature-to-creature interaction, is a form of relationship. Perfected relationship is one of charity, mutual love, dignity, understanding, etc. And that desires the good for the other. And then we looked at the psychological compatibility that is often mistaken for conspiracy so for instance we we talk you hear people talk about the conspiracy of the left it's not an organized conspiracy what it amounts to is it's a pack of hyenas who have the same goal and they appear to be working in concert there's not a common good there's the individual good that in mass looks like um, there's a commonality and so Each, the the demon is expert in this, is is elevating um, the person's own self-interest, turning a person from ad orientum, focused on uh, God, creature focused on creator, to being ad hominem or ad populum, creature focused upon creature. And so that's the first area of, of compatibility. You and I have a compatibility that is primarily based upon love of God. I recognize in you your love of God, and that is something that draws me to um, to you. I have a desire to uh, deepen this relationship, but there has to be a central principle. And so what the demon does is focus on uh, the person. This is um, one of the elements of a false courtship or a seduction is it's based upon flattery, false impression, etc. And so um, the suitor, on the other hand, desires the good of the other. And I think that's a key uh, comparison is the demon is a seducer and God is a suitor. Christ is a suitor who desires your good, your salvation, and the demon, uh, the exact opposite. So psychological compatibility, Father and I started talking about, there has to be something upon which the demon, the fallen angel, the demon, and the fallen human, the sinner, agree. And the sin that the human is, is the, the habitual mortal sin, the demon is going to be attracted to that based upon his nature. So, for instance, a larcenous personality is going to attract a spirit of larceny. Um, an impure personality is going to a human personality, a human willing to engage in impure thoughts or perversion or pedophilia is going to attract a demon of the same flavor. And there's the psychological compatibility. That's what we're talking about. And then relation relationship begins to be developed there.
1: Got it, I love it, Kyle. How can people get your fifteen-minute discourse on psychological compatibility with the diabolical? What's the name of the YouTube video?
0: So the name of the YouTube video, um, well, now it escapes me. But um, you can access it through the Monte Cristo YouTube channel, or you can also type in my name um, on the Monte Cristo YouTube channel. Let me see if I can, um, if that's right at my fingertips. I I can't find it quickly, Jesse. Um, well let me
1: let me let me while you look for it, let me just mention something interesting. And I think you'll find this interesting. We were talking about vampirism. I looked up the definition. Va- vampirism means uh the action or practices of a vampire. So and there's actually a game. I'm looking at a a board game. It's called Vampirism. But here's something interesting also, Kyle, as you're looking for that YouTube video. Uh, it's interesting that vampires, the whole genre of Dracula came out. And what's Dracula afraid of? He's afraid of the light. Ergo, that's why Liber (laughs) Cristo, as my father Ripperger does exorcisms in the light of day. And also Dracula is afraid of a crucifix, not a cross. He's afraid of a crucifix. That's not a coincidence, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's precisely that because (laughs) at the heart of vampirism is the unwillingness to suffer or die.
1: Ah, I like that. Well, that's a wrap, my friend thanks a lot brother for uh, coming on this week we'll see you next time you've been listening to Wednesday War College Jess Romero Kyle Clement go on to Montecristo.org website Montecristo.org to get uh, Kyle's 15, 10, 15 minute videos on all things spiritual warfare as for us that's a wrap dot we are EOW dot, end of watch dot say dot, net, dot, dot net net Montecristo.net Montecristo.net you can get Kyle Clemens Short Teachings on Spiritual Warfare. Montecristo.net See you next time. God bless.